Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people, pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went on a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Here ends the reading. If you ever wondered if Home Alone was truly a Christmas movie, it is. Jesus was forgotten just like Kevin was forgotten. Look, I could turn any movie into gospel. Just give me five minutes, okay? (laughs) Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your people. May we do well by it today to hear, understand, and have our hearts forever changed. Sometimes I pray. Amen. Uh, We've been, as we've been preparing for Christmas through Advent, one of the things that we've been doing is going along and seeing times in which Christ has tabled with us. Essentially, how does Christ come into our lives? How does he come home with us? How does he have a personal and intimate relationship with us? I think a lot of times uh, we have Christmas and, and this iconoclastic idea of the manger and the nativity scene and, and Christ being so holier than thou, which he is. And at the same time, Christ is near to us. That's what That's what the incarnation is. O come, O come, Emmanuel, Christ is with us. So as we've been preparing for Christmas through Advent, we've been teaching times in which Christ did that. He's become very close to people. We've seen it in a number of instances and a number of times. The gospel has been proclaimed and salvation has been received. But here's my question that I want to pose today and then give you answer for Have you ever asked yourself why Christ needed to be close? This seems mundane, and you you probably overlook it a great deal uh, in your lives. But have you ever stopped for a moment and thought, why did Christ have to become babe, flesh incarnate, and come close to us? Couldn't he have been a distant CEO? Couldn't he have been this this world-renowned philosopher sitting up on a hill of a high mountain place, meditating and, and prognosticating all day long? No, no, no. Why did Christ have to come near to us? I want to give you a little example to try to help inform that question and then go off and see how Christ does not conspire against you. He does not collude against you. He he does not conform to you. 
and he will actually confound you as he covenants. Before we get there, let me, let me give you a little, little picture as to why. Uh, I, I'm a, I like historical kind of documentaries and miniseries. Uh, and one of the ones that I've been going through right now is uh, the Nazi Hunters. Uh, it's really lighthearted stuff. You should all watch it around Christmas time. Uh, and one of the things they did is they would go to these countries where, where Germany invaded, and they would see how they got railroads intact, or they built these monolithic, huge, huge things. And, and one of the ways they did so is they would drill into the side of a cliff, and they would shove dynamite down into the cliff, and then it exploded, and it would open up these huge chasms so they can put railway ties down. Our hearts are like a jagged, stubborn cliff. <clears throat> we are sometimes immovable, sometimes we don't like hearing things, and, and we just, we are who we are. Now, if you wanted to move this cliff, if you wanted to open up a way for it, what do you do? You, you do just as this documentary showed, you have to drill down into it. You have to place an explosive charge near the center of it, and then let the explosive charge do its work. I think far too often we think of Christ as one of two ways. We think of Christ as coming near to us, drilling down to us, but then we say, ah, but he really likes what I have to say. Jesus tells me things I like. He agrees with me. Oh, this Jesus, I like him. He's close to me. He's, he's kind of this fuzzy little puppy we treat him. And he, he doesn't explode our lives. Or we think of Christ as just explosive. He's, he's dynamite. He's TNT. We need to use it to change the world. So let's huck and throw dynamite, the truth, the explosiveness of the gospel at people. Neither one will work. Because one, you'll have a cliff that, is, that is, has porous holes in it, but no change. A Christ who comes to you and comforts you is good. But a Christ who comforts you and doesn't change you is not Christ. Secondarily, if all you do is throw dynamite at something, all you're doing is you're making a fireworks show that harms and hurts people and no good comes of it. Again, the, the way is not opened. Actually, just, just pieces of it fleck off and, and, and disperse itself. Why did Christ have to come near to us? Ah, because he needed to drill down into our lives so that it could be at the epicenter of who we are. So when the explosiveness of the gospel happened, it erupts, it changes everything. That's why Christ came near. So today, what I want you to see from the account in Luke is this is Christ as a preteen. He's a 12-year-old now. Again, Christmas, the advent, the, the, the appearance incarnate, Emmanuel. Christ is a babe, but we're gonna see Christ as a preteen, as a 12-year-old. From this account in Luke, we're gonna see these things. Christ does not conspire against us. He doesn't conform to us. And he will confound as he covenants. Here's the first thing. Christ does not conspire against us. In verses 41 through 47, Luke tells us that Christ and his family went to Jerusalem. It was Passover. It was a festival. It was a holy day, holiday. And Christ is going with his family to there. Uh, Passover is incredibly important to the culture and to the time. It was the remembrance of where God provided a way out of slavery for God's people, for Israel. And it was not only that time, but it was a time in which death passed over God's people where the blood of a lamb was put above a doorpost and then the, the wrath of God was not to visit that house as the plagues hit Egypt. It was a time to remember that God's sacrifice, the lamb's blood, stops death from visiting you. That's, that's what this memorial is. And they would go every year during Passover to Jerusalem and they would celebrate together. And during this time, as they came, 
it seems silly and seems kind of mundane, doesn't it, that Christ would just go along with his family to Jerusalem? But I want to stop for a second. If you've been in church or been in religion for a long time, I think you missed the point of just how scandalous this is. You've heard that a lot from us as we've gone through Advent, the scandal of the gospel. Uh, as I've said many times before, and I've been mocked for, so thank you for that, it is bananas. It's crazy. The scandal of the gospel is still true. I knew, I knew Seth was going to like that one. Uh, I, by the way, Seth never mocks me ever, just so we all are fully understand of this. Everybody's singing the song. I know, that's why I paused for a second. Just get it out of your system. <laughs> Who knew Gwen Stefani was going to make such an appearance during Christmas? She did not when she wrote that song. The reason why it's scandalous, the gospel is so scandalous, is this. A 12-year-old Jesus, a preteen going with his family for Passover, seems mundane, and yet it is wildly scandalous. Here's what I mean. If you were to invite your children to go with you, if you were to go to your family, like many of us are going to do this week, your children are getting in the car and they're to go with you and they say, yes, we're going to grandma and grandpa's, aunts, uncles, whatever it is. And the child says, sure, mom and dad, I'll go. That seems, well, of course, this is right. This is good. This is glorious. Of course you go with us. But for Jesus as a 12-year-old to say, yes, mom and dad, I'll follow you. I'll go to Jerusalem. I'll go to Passover is wildly interesting because of this. This is not just another child. This is not just a preteen. This is not just any 12-year-old. This is God himself incarnate. This is God himself who hears the story of Passover. He's going to Jerusalem and he's sitting down listening to the festivities, listening to the historical count, listening to the walkthrough, listening to a sermon. And this 12-year-old has every right to be up on the stage, be up on the platform, be up in front of everybody, teaching them his story. When I say Christ doesn't conspire, the first way I know that Christ doesn't conspire, doesn't come against us, isn't against you, is he willingly travels on a holy day, his holy day, to hear other people talk about him, and he does so willingly. Do you see this? Don't gloss over this. Don't skip this. Sometimes I think one of, we, we believe one of two things of Jesus. Either Jesus is this superhuman superman, uh, and he's God. Of course, he could do anything. He doesn't get sick. He's He's mightier than, we think of him, we start singing a song or maybe the, the beginning of a comic strip of how bullet trains can't go faster than him. Nothing can stop him. He's, he's Superman. And we miss the point. That's actually not true. 12-year-old, his voice is cracking. He's learning things. He thirsts. He hungers. He became flesh. He became man. That's the scandal. He is not every other 12-year-old, however, because as we're going to come to find out, he's teaching the teachers. He's serving the servants. He's preaching a better sermon than the preachers. But how is he doing it? See, we think of leaders sometimes as leaders kicking in the door, opening things up and saying, follow me, I'm great and glorious. The example of exemplar, the, the best that there ever was. Does Jesus kick in doors and say, he had every right as he's going to Passover, as his mom and dad are walking through the countryside, as they're telling him the story of Passover, of God's people removing out of Egypt and what God did. And the entire time he's thinking to himself, yeah, I know I was there. Yeah, I know. I authored it. Yeah, I know. You really want to know about scripture? Let me get up and let me preach. 
What does this show us about Jesus? It shows us how wildly gracious he is, how wildly servant-hearted he is. Now, I've said this before. One of the greatest things on, in, my, in my ministry as a pastor, one of the greatest things is having those sit in a congregation who could preach better than I can and submitting to it. Or maybe this. Have you been in times in which you're learning something from somebody else? They know it better than you. You're helping them out. You're, you're helping them build another addition to their house or working on the car. And you've done your research. You've gone on YouTube. You haven't read a book, heaven forbid. You've gone on YouTube, checked out a couple channels. You've learned everything there is to know. You're now an expert all of a sudden because an hour and a half of YouTube and you got it down. And you go to meet with somebody and they don't say to you, how about you just go off to the side, sit down, be quiet, let me do it. But the best times, the best teachers, the best of those who, are who welcome you in and say, I will serve you, I will come underneath you. I have no business being over you. I'm gonna subject myself under you. That's the scandal of this gospel, 12-year-old Jesus going with his family on a mundane, every year annual tradition. And he allows it. And I say the word, allows it. See, we cannot miss this of the gospel. We cannot miss that he does not conspire against us. He does not hate you. He's not against you. How do I know? How do I know this? Look at his actions. Look at his life. He willingly submitted to his family who was broken, as we're going to come, find, come to find out, who don't see things clearly as they should. My question to you is this. Do you try to propose that you know God's word better than God himself? Maybe you say this. And this is, I'm sw this is very common for us today. This next phrase, you've heard, I've heard, we've all heard, but it says this. Now that we know the true context of what scripture was saying, here's the new translation that we all should have known from the whole time. That's dangerous. Here's why it's dangerous. Do you purport to know more than God himself when God himself says, I know everything? I know the Passover story. I can recite it. He could have walked home with his family and could have looked at mom and dad and been like, hey, uh, dad, you, you messed up the liturgy. Hey, mom, you forgot to pray at this point here. Oh, hey, preacher, you forgot this verse here. He had every right to do that, didn't he? Why? Because he's God incarnate. But what did he do? He willingly went on a tradition that he was not under. What's more important, Jesus' word or the world's word? Your tradition or his tradition? Your way or his way? His way, every time. We see but in part. One day we will see in full. We see like people looking at a mirror that's half dim, a veil. We don't have all the information. We don't have all the, the knowledge. We don't have the perspective that Christ does. And what does he do? He submits. He comes alongside. He's not an enemy. He is for you. He does not conspire. One of the greatest things about Christmas is this. The appearance of Christ in fleshly form says to us that Christ gave off his glory and took on the veil of man. He thirsted, he hungered, he desired, and he served. That's the first thing you need to understand. Not come be against, he came to be for. 
But secondly, he does not conform to it. He goes along with Mary and Joseph. He goes along with the whole family. And then he does not conform. So he does not conspire, but he does not conform. What do I mean? Verses 48 through 50. It says that as Mary and Joseph went to the temple and then went back home, they all of a sudden realized, oh no, Jesus isn't with us. Now really quick, let's not blame Mary and Joseph. This is a big caravan, whole family. Think of all your extended family. Think of everybody with the last name Vander something in, in Iowa, okay? Going with you and traveling. Think of somebody who, oh, I'm with, I'm with the aunt, I'm with, I'm with the uncle, I'm with my neighbors. It would have been completely trustworthy in the community. Would have been completely fine to say, yes, absolutely, we're gonna, uh, we trust that we're all traveling together. Mary and Joseph finally realized, wait a second, Jesus isn't with us. He's not with, he's not with our aunt, our uncle. He's not with the cousins. He's not with mom and dad. Where is he? And they realize, oh no, he must be still at the temple. So they travel back and they find him in the temple. And this is wild. He's teaching teachers. He's serving servants. He's expounding scripture better than the professionals are. He's doing an incredible job with this. And Mary and Joseph show up and Mary says, Jesus, what are you doing? You need to come with us. We've been looking all over for you. Where have you been? And Jesus' answer is this. These are the first public words that we've heard of Christ since he was a newborn. And his words are this. Why were you looking for me elsewhere? Don't you know I must be in my father's house? He starts off his whole entire public ministry by stating this. I must be in my father's house. Now we have to understand what Jesus is doing here because he's not conforming to the traditions, the logic, the understanding of the world. He's doing something much different than that. Jesus is 12, which is, which is very interesting. The tradition in the culture of that time said a 12-year-old is to come under the, the tutelage of his father because at 13, you're an adult, which is my word. Could you imagine 13 getting voting rights? <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> uh, really quick, just... Uh, Today, we're not even sure our brains fully form until the age of 25. How, how nuts is this? Jesus at the age of 12 is supposed to come under Joseph, supposed to be with him, supposed to be being taught the traditions, the culture, the ways of his people. Mary comes in and says, Jesus, you're not with us. You're here and you're teaching teachers? She's essentially saying, you're embarrassing us. Would you get in line with your father? Would you follow our precepts, follow our commands, follow our tradition and our religion? And Jesus answers this. Why are you looking for me elsewhere? I must be in my father's house. Now, some of us may have an understanding of this. I, I wanna try to put it into terms that maybe we can understand a little bit more. Uh, I was listening to a podcast this week on a Mennonite pastor and his family and the relationship they had with their community. It was a Canadian Mennonite community. And uh, this community had membership that if somebody in the church, any member, any member thought that you were doing something wrong, they had every right to come to you and ask you about it like this. If they believed you were giving less than 10% of your income to the church, they could audit your books. How many of us just got really uneasy right now? Maybe you come from a traditional culture like that. Maybe your background is guilt and shame. Maybe you've lived in a world and a society that says you have to do the right thing. If you don't do the right thing, off with your head. Get out of here. Or I'm going to keep you in line. 
That same exact feel, that same exact understanding is exactly what Christ was dealing with. He was embarrassing his community. He was showing up his family. He was going against the normal ways. Or maybe put it like this. How much of our tradition, how much of our society, how much of our culture influences your decisions on a daily basis? You can't say that. You can't act that way. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You can't tell me to submit to scripture. I have my rights. I have my views. I have my opinions. Today, as it was in one-time tradition, don't embarrass your family. Now, it's don't come against me. Whereas before, it was don't go against the family. Now, it's don't, don't tread on me. I have opinions. I have insight. I've understood scripture better than anybody else. I know the true understanding. Flying in the face of thousands of years of teaching just because you think you know better. We have no right to say that. Christ has every right to say that. He is the word. He is the truth. He is the light. And he says to Mary and Joseph, I must be in my father's house. You see, what we need to understand about Jesus is while he doesn't conspire, doesn't come against us, he comes to us, he, he submits to us, he serves us. He doesn't conform to us. Mary said, you're embarrassing your father. She tried to use guilt and shame with the family. This goes against our tradition. This goes against our religion. Don't you know what's said? And, and Jesus says, I must be in my father's house. How much of the time do you try to use tradition, intellect, and culture to explain away things in your life? Well, that's just not how the world works. You're right. The world is bent and upside down. I know the world works in a, in a different way, it's not working how it's intended to work. Well, you have to understand, Clint, my, if I was to say some of these things in my culture, in my context, that's just really disrespectful. Kind of like Jesus when he said, I must be in my father's house. You see, the thing about Jesus is he drills down. He comes into our lives. He gets to know the epicenter of our hearts, but he still has explosiveness that catapults our lives, that changes us forever. And I think the danger we're into in our lives today is we drill down in people's lives. We're really close to them. We're really gracious. We're really loving. But we have no truth. Or conversely, we have all the truth in the world, but nobody wants to hear from us because we're just jerks. I was listening to another podcast this week, and the podcast had this to say. It used the phrase generous orthodoxy. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's having generous orthodoxy. One that says this, or as John tells us, John 1.14 and following, says Jesus was full of truth and grace. He did not conspire, meaning he wasn't against you, he was gracious, and he did not come without truth. He had orthodoxy, he, he confronts us, he doesn't conform to us. And he says this. this, this podcast said this, generous orthodoxy is defined as this, Orthodoxy without grace is blind. Orthodoxy, truth, biblical understanding, without grace is blind. However, grace without orthodoxy is shallow. It's Christmas time, let me ask you this. Why do you give to people? Why do you show sacrifice? Why do you give gifts? This is what our society says, and I've heard this a million times, because it makes me feel good when I give, right? Haven't you heard that? 
Well, I just feel so good when I give. Give the giving spirit this season. Do you know what we do when we say that? It makes me feel good. You know what I've just done to you if I give something to you and it makes me feel good? I've just used you. I've just used you. My giving has nothing for you, nothing about you, nothing of who you are and your needs. It's all about my needs and what I want and what I desire. Are you using things of Christ because it feels good to you? Are you just getting close to people because it's, it makes you feel good, but you're not giving them explosive truth? See, what Jesus did is he did not conform to our ways. He had a principle. He had a higher calling. He had a better calling than anything we could have given him, than anything he could have given himself. One last example. There's a famous commercial going around right now that got a lot of flack because a husband gave his wife an exercise piece of equipment. And everything said, no, 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 you can't do that. This, is, this, is, this, is, this isn't right. This isn't good. You know what the company said? Immediately afterwards, when there was a pushback, they said, how dare you? We love that story. That's a great story. It's the story of many people's lives who got transformed, and now they, they are fit, and it's lovely. We stand by it. Truth. You know, the next time the commercial ran, what was not present? The gift-giving of the husband. It was cut. It was edited. Why? What won out? The principles of people who made that commercial that said, we want, we want people to be inspired and empowered in their, in their health journey, which is what they said in their, their press release. What won out at the end of the day? Money. The stock tanked. Sales dipped. Bad publicity. They bent to the knee. They bent at the knee to the authority of the almighty buck. Now, I'm not saying which way is right. All I'm saying is, when your priorities, when your life, when you look at things and you say to yourself, what's truth and what's grace? How do I hold both in the same time? How do I have principles and not, not back off them, but how do I graciously apply them? Look no further than Jesus. Being fully man, he submitted to those he had no business submitting to, and yet he did not confine to their traditions, their intellect, and their emotions. He said, my way, not yours, and yet how I administer that is different. How I administer the truth is grace and love. Lastly, Christ will confound us as he commits. It says, I must be in my father's house. And then immediately afterwards, it says this, they were all confused. It says, what do, you, what do you mean you have to be in your father's house? I'm so confused by this, I don't understand. This goes against all of our sensibilities. This goes against what we know and what we've been about and who we are. How dare you say this? What's going on, Jesus? And then it says this, after they were confounded by it, he says, he went home with him and he increased in favor of man and God. Let's go back to our first point. Jesus had no business submitting to everybody. He had no business. He said, I must be in my father's house. He was in his father's house. And then he said at the same time, let's go home. I'll come with you. I'll eat what you give me. I'll do my chores. I'll learn what you're teaching me. I'll draw close to you. What Jesus just did is he just publicly in front of everybody said, I don't care about your traditions. I must follow my father, which actually is really wild. Mary says, don't disrespect your father. You must be with us. What are you doing here? He says, I must be in my father's house. Essentially, she says, you're right. Or he says, you're right. I must honor my father. You just got the wrong father. I must worship and honor God the father first. And his way, the way I worship him influences everything else I do in life. I don't put family before God. 
I don't put tradition before God. I don't put opinion before God. I don't put anything before him. In Christ alone, my hope is found. As we sing. Do you see that? Do you see how Christ said, you got the wrong, got the wrong subject of your sentence. I am honoring my father. I must be in my father's house. I am here with him, glorifying him. And you know what my glory of him does for me on earth? It allows me to submit to you. Later on in scripture, Christ will say, I don't do anything outside of what the father does. I don't do anything outside of what I see the father doing. Do you know what's so incredible about the Trinity? God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, is the co-submission they give to each other. The way in which they submit to one another. And the way in which Christ the Son looks at God the Father and say, I see you submitting and serving me and the Holy Spirit as we submit and serve you. And so therefore, I will go do likewise to people that I'm around. His worship of God the Father propelled him to serve those who are unlovable. He holds the truths of the Bible, but he holds them with absolute grace. Pastoral care is a little bit different than, than sermon preaching. Sermon preaching, I have to prepare things and kind of just get to proclaim to you. Pastoral care, when you come and meet, you have these questions that are very gray in nature. How do you serve an unruly spouse? How do you find patience with children who don't deserve it? How do you serve a horrible supervisor at work that has no business being your supervisor? How do you do these things? Ah, this is wisdom. What does wisdom say? What does the fullness of God in man form say? He says, I must be in my father's house. Let me worship God the Father, and by my worship God Father, I can serve an unruly spouse because the unruly spouse doesn't end me. That's not my goal. That's not my end being. It's not my tradition and my way. How much of the time do you try to present your family and you beautiful and whole to the public? Because if you had cracks in your marriage, if you had cracks in your family, oh no. What are the neighbors going to whisper about? What's the church going to talk about? If you are struggling financially and you don't want to tell anybody for help because, oh no, what would other people think? See, what Christ says is, I will draw near to you. I will come home with you. And what happens at home? We go out in public, we shower, brush our teeth, and get all prim and proper, right? What happens at home? You put on PJs, comfies. In the morning, you don't do your hair. You wear glasses instead of putting in contacts. Christmas morning, how many of you are, are getting dressed in a three-piece suit to go to Christmas breakfast? If you do, we need to talk. See, what Christ said is, I don't just want the proper bits. I want the ugly bits. I want to come home with you. I want to see you in your natural environment. I want to see you struggle and wrestle and not be prim and proper. That's the easy part. You know what pastoral ministry, you know what the easiest part of pastoral ministry is for me? Guest preaching in another church. I'll tell you my secret right now. Here's how I, I, I can go to any church, I could guest preach, and I'll walk away everybody's hero if I do this one thing. I ask the pastor, how long do you normally preach? I cut five minutes off my sermon, and I end. Everybody loves me. Why? It's really easy to prepare for five days, go preach somewhere else, and then never see them again. You know what's really hard? You know what's ugly? 
pastoring and living with people day in and day out, knowing the ugly bits of each other, you seeing the ugly bits of me. Jesus came home and saw the ugly bits of his family and didn't say, off with you. He said, you're wrong. I am honoring my father. You just got the wrong father. And now, because I worship him, I get to serve you. He didn't say, we disagree on this point, so I can't associate with you. But what does our world say? I can't agree with you. I can't associate. Off with you. Get out of here. Contract over. Revoke your privilege. I deny access to you. You have to agree with everything I say, or you're horrible. Think of all the rules you're making right now for Christmas dinner with your family. The no-fly zones. And think of the person you got to go to and pull off to the side and be like, hey, you can't talk about what you want to talk about at Christmas dinner. You have them. If you don't have them, guess what? You're the person they're going to come talk to. <laughs> Christ doesn't say that. He says, you're dead wrong, and yet I will welcome you, yet I will bring you in, yet I will talk to you, yet I will see you, I will incarnate, I will indwell with you. I don't hold you at arm length. I bring you in close. Now, this idea sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? Wait, you're telling me we can fundamentally disagree on everything, just like just like Mary and Joseph fundamentally disagree with Jesus. You must follow our traditions, our culture, our understanding, or your family or your workplace or your friends dictating that you must adhere to cultural norms. And you say, I'll serve you, but I don't have to agree with you. I'm gonna speak truth to you. I'm gonna do so in a gracious manner, not condemning, not judging, but graciously giving. And you say, Clint, that's a fairy tale. That doesn't exist. None of my friends would do that. None of my family would do that. My workplace wouldn't do that. My boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, we'd never, no, 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 no. We just agreed to disagree. It is a fairy tale. You know why? Because like I said before, the world is bent and upside down. And the way we see things is not how it ought be. What did Christ come to do? He came to make straight the paths that were bent. He came to redeem and correct. He came to turn the world upside down. He came to drill down, place an explosive, and then send you into orbit. It is a fairy tale. But you know what's great about fairy tales? What if you wake up and your dream is true? What if you dream of, a, of an idea and you wake up the next day and it comes true? What if Jesus says, I must be in my father's house and yet let's go home. And he gained, he, he increased in favor with man and God. People liked him as he disagreed with them. Do you see that? People will like you for a season if you agree with them all the time. But then you will become useless to them. Because that's not loving them. That's not encouraging them. That's accommodating them. Jesus does not accommodate us and yet he does not reject us. How do I know? Look at the communion. Look at the tabling he had with the father that then made him table with his parents. It is a fairy tale, but it's the best kind of fairy tale. It's the fairy tale we wake up and it's true. The further we get away from our humanity, the worse off we are. What's further away from humanity? I can't agree with you. I can't associate with you. I only associate with my tribe and people who agree with me. No. 
We would have to take a test every single time we met somebody, and we have to score over a certain threshold to continue communing. Jesus says, we're not going to agree on this, but I'm going to commune with you. And my goal is to change you. Yes, mom and dad, that's my goal, but I'll serve you in doing so. Or let me put it like this. A movie came out this summer, Ad Astria. It showed humanity's progression to reach to the stars. Ad Astria, reach to the stars, to the stars and beyond. The further humanity got away from Earth, you know what happened to the people that were in each? They, they, they went from planet to planet, going out to the solar systems, the, the outer reaches of the cosmos. You know what happened to the people as the further they got away from humanity? The more inhumane they became. The more, the more grotesque they became. You know what happened? They had to come back to Earth, back to Eden, back to the garden, back to the way things are supposed to be. Back to community in which there was no death, there was no sin, there was complete and utter communion. There was walking in the cool of the day next to the garden with Christ, with God, with the Spirit. That's what it is. So let me ask you this. Do you try to progress each and every day towards a a new reality? And each and every day you're going away from the created order, the way God had structured things in the beginning, you're going further away from your humanity. Christ said, I will dive straight into that humanity. I will indwell with you. I will come to you. And I will challenge you all at the same time. Church, the incarnation says this, Christ came to us to incarnate. Go and do likewise. Why? Because you see, God the Father did not stand aside, but he sent his son to be a teenage kid with us. How vulnerable does that feel? exactly what Christ did for you and I. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not conspiring against us. Thank you for not holding in conflict our disobedience, but rather thank you for coming to us, coming close to us, coming, drawing near to us. That we do not have to wonder, does God love us? We know that he loves us. Why? Because he came home with us. He submitted to those who are unlovable, unteachable, are confused by his words. Father, you have made straight the paths You have have corrected all the bent ways. You have made our lives real by drilling down and then putting in the gospel to explode our hearts that are calloused and bitter. May we celebrate the advent, the coming of your son. May we do so with exaltation and praise. Son's holy and precious name I pray, amen.